Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, It's This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! This is the Lightning Round Podcast for Jamie Hoyle, who's at lightning underscore round on Twitter. I am Garrett Sisti, which is the same on Twitter. We have some questions, some storylines, and a whole lot to get to, but we got so many donations while we're away. Get ready, Jamie, because we got a long list to read off here. Yeah, this might take up half the show. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the reason it's so long is because we are now on Venmo. Uh, if you were keeping an eye on the Lightning Round podcast Twitter, which if you're not, I don't know why you're not now, go and do that. But Jamie announced that uh, we set up a Venmo account, so you can also pay us through either Venmo or PayPal. So either way you want to get us money, you can. And lots of people did. Yeah, they did. It looks like we went from the the Bud Light account to the craft beer account uh, <laughs> with all the donations we got. So uh, a lot of thank yous to go out today. So we'll get started. First one is uh, Jay Burns Photography. Thank you for your donation. I don't know what his first name is, but uh, Jay Burns. Thank yep, you. That's what that's what he <laughs> donated or he or she donated under maybe wanted a plug for their photography business. But thank you. Of course, Marcus Turrigan donated again this week. Charlie Duddy. Nick Shepard. Joseph Fernandez. Got a donation from Brian Kerr. 
We got another do- donation from Josh Albrickson, and he says, this may only be spent on beer. Okay, well, we'll make sure of that. Aaron Vrabel also said, beers and appreciation for making my Wednesday drives and traffic bearable. Get on it, Vrabel. We release it on Tuesdays. <laughs> Next one is from Robert Shields. He says, keep up the outstanding work. Justin Estrada says, thanks so much for the pod. I love knowing this team inside and out. Thank you to you guys. Keep it up. And finally, uh, last but not least, Eric Randerson. He says, keep up the good work. So thank you, everybody. Jay Brins Photography, Marcus, Charlie, Nick, Joseph, Brian, Josh, Aaron, Robert, Justin, and Eric. Appreciate you all. Thank you so much. And before we get into it, we uh, got a question last week uh, from somebody who called in the show. I want to say it was Jason, and they were asking about where Liam was. He's our youngest and biggest fan of the podcast. Well, Liam's dad contacted us and he sent in a statement he said sorry for missing the questions from liam we had football on sunday afternoon so a lot of the time we weren't able to watch the games right away and get the questions before you guys would record he does ask me all the time to turn on the podcast and wants to listen the minute you guys post thanks again for everything rob so everybody be more like liam go pursue your dreams play football like he is and also Listen to the podcast when you upload it. I'm talking to you, Vrabel, on a Wednesday during traffic. He does it the second we upload it. Yes, get to it right away, please. (laughs) In fact, if you don't, you're not a true fan. You're being outshined (laughs) by a little kid. So up your game. (laughs) He is our our favorite fan, too. Uh, Something about those phone phone calls from Liam when they happen just uh, brings a smile to, I think, all of our faces. So good to hear he's still listening. And... um, Thank you for the statement. We appreciate the update on Liam's whereabouts, Rob. It's uh, we were all worried, so we're we're glad we heard about it. we heard from you. <laughs> well, speaking of which, our favorite, our biggest, our youngest fan left us a voicemail. Hi, this is Liam from Bellflower. How long do you think Melvin Gordon's going to be out? And do you think Newsom or Jackson is going to get the ball more times? Thanks, and go Chargers. So, Liam, I actually think we got a hint of what it might look like without Melvin Gordon um, during the game against the Cardinals on Sunday. And I think it might be something that we see this team play a little bit faster for a change. This is a team that wants to dominate the clock. They want to run the ball. They want to control the pace of the game. Uh, And I think sometimes controlling the pace of the game makes them think that they have to slow the game down and snap the ball with one or two seconds left on the clock. And I think with Melvin out, they might move a little bit faster. We might see a little bit more, you know, short passes to Eckler as an extension of the running game, uh, a little bit more Justin Jackson between the tackles, a little bit more burst, a little bit more wiggle in the open field. And they might move a little bit faster, still put together some of those long drives, but um, try to turn up the pace a little bit like they did before the end of the first half on Sunday and play a little bit more quickly. So I think that's what we might what it might look like uh, without Melvin. And it sounds like based on what coach Lynn is saying, they're expecting him to be back uh, by the end of the season. If not a couple games before Lynn referred to Melvin as a quote, fast healer said he expects him back sooner rather than later. And he expects him to play before the season is out. So it might not be as debilitating an injury as it seems. And it might actually teach the Chargers a little bit about a little something about, you know, their ability to play a little bit faster and be a little bit more efficient on offense. Yep. Anthony Lynn said Gordon is week to week. Want to get him in before the end of the season, which is encouraging. 
And, of course, he said it's highly doubtful he goes this weekend, so probably can't expect Gordon to play in Pittsburgh. And then, uh, you know, you asked who we thought would get more snaps between Justin Jackson and Dietrich Newsom, and I think, you know, we saw Justin Jackson had more once Gordon went out, so you'll probably see more Jackson than you will Newsom. Probably see, what, seven to ten carries on Sunday from Jackson with uh, Eckler in. Probably depends on the flow of the game, but but I will say I think you will see more Justin Jackson than you will Dietrich Newsom. Yeah, I think you'll see more Jackson than Newsom. I think um, you'll probably see Jackson get more carries uh, in the offensive game plan and probably see Eckler catch more passes a lot like what we saw on Sunday. So kind of balance it out that way. Yeah, and you're leading right into the next question from William Andrews. He says, thoughts on the offense moving forward without Melvin Gordon? I thought Justin Jackson looked great in that small sample size. True that. And then, yeah, you kind of added it. You think a little bit more up-tempo. Yeah, I think they're going to play a little bit more up-tempo. I think, like I said before, I think the ten- the tendency is, well, let's get Melvin going. Let's grind it out. Let's pound it out. Let's slow things down and control the pace. But there's more than one pace of play, and there's more than one way to skin a cat in terms of controlling the clock. And I think if you're putting together 8, 10, 12 play drives, but you're snapping the ball with, you know, between 15 and 20 seconds on the play clock, you're still controlling the pace and the tempo of the game. You're maybe making it a little bit more difficult for defenses to substitute. You're wearing down good defensive fronts like the one the Steelers have, and you're keeping them guessing by, you know, spreading the ball around, getting more people involved. So I think, I think the Chargers definitely learned that they can play up tempo. They don't have to be at the line of scrimmage, audibling in and out of plays constantly, you know, drawing that play clock down to one or two seconds on every snap. And, you know, they get Phillip into a rhythm. They get Eckler into a rhythm. They get Justin Jackson into a rhythm. Everybody's getting involved. And pretty soon it's like a snowball rolling downhill. It's just gaining momentum. And all of a sudden you're at, it's a, it's an out of control freight train. And that's a whole lot of metaphors right there. But, uh, And one of my least favorite, uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat, which when you think about it literally is like, what? where did that even come from? But yeah, um, you mentioned something that I was going to bring up too. I think you you might see Justin Jackson take more carries on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of see him more as their more power runner among the trio of backs. And you're probably going to see Eckler do most of his damage through the air than he does on the ground. And I thought this Sunday against the Cardinals, they actually utilized Austin Eckler and maximize his abilities, which they didn't do in London. Uh, they got him on the edges. They got him in space in the passing game. And I think that will help in Pittsburgh. Justin Jackson on the ground averaged over eight yards per carry. He outrushed Austin Eckler on Sunday. So with Eckler, Justin Jackson, Dietrich Newsom, I think the Chargers are going to be okay. Uh, they're obviously going to miss Gordon, but still I think with Eckler, Jackson, Newsom, they'll do all right. The Steelers were just torched by Philip Lindsay on the ground. He ran for over 100 and had a touchdown. He's kind of a smaller, speedy back, more like Austin Eckler. So the Chargers could take advantage. We'll see. But, um, you know, they just got gashed by a speed back. So maybe we will see a little bit more Eckler on the ground. But, but I do agree with you. I think Justin Jackson will probably get more carries on Sunday, Eckler doing more of his damage to the air. Yeah, I think um, you might see them do a little bit better job of passing to set up the run in this game, kind of loosening things up with some of those short passes in space like we saw them throw in the second half to Eckler, kind of started before halftime on that, that two-minute drill and then yeah. really spilled over into the second half where they're they're getting the ball out quickly because they weren't protecting Rivers very well early in the game. 
and they were throwing two, three, five, six-yard passes to Eckler and just letting him make somebody miss and pick up extra yards. I think we'll see that as an extension of the run game to kind of get the Steelers to back off, maybe see if you can get them to take one or two of their linebackers out of the game and play more nickel and dime with more corners on the field, really spread them out, soften them up, and then hit them with the running the running game later in the game. Yeah, all right, well— it's a big matchup coming this Sunday, but let's talk about this game that we saw against the Cardinals. Let's talk about our three storylines. Well, I mean, the first storyline obviously has to be Rivers, right? I mean, he's basically perfect in the game, 28 to 29, three touchdowns, starts the game with 25 straight completions. Um, and, I mean, that was by far the best game he's played this year for sure, probably the best game he's played in several years. Uh, just, I mean, just locked in not taking any unnecessary chances. Uh, he threw some absolute dimes into tight windows, put the balls where only his guys could get them. Uh, you know, we talk about the throw to Sean Culkin on the sidelines before halftime. That was a phenomenal throw. He had two great sideline throws to Keenan um, on the last drive before halftime. The, t- the second touchdown pass to Mike Williams also was just a perfect throw right on the sideline where only Mike could get to it. Uh, absolutely positively on fire he had everything working and i mean you watch that tape go back and watch the coaches film on that tape uh he had guys open all over the field he could have thrown it wherever he wanted and he just consistently made the right decision an accurate throw and got his guys in position to make a play and usually make a play and turn the ball upfield and pick up a few more yards while they're at it so he was outstanding yeah, of course, I was going to touch on that too. Historic day, you talked about it, 28 for 29, 259 yards, three touchdowns. He became the fourth QB to throw multiple TD passes in each of his first 11 games, tied the all-time record for consecutive completions with 25. He set the NFL record for the most consecutive completions to start a game with 23. He set a new record for completion percentage in a single game with a minimum of 20 pass attempts. He broke Kurt Warner's old record, which he held since 2009. He was perfect in the red zone. He was 3-for-3 three three on all his passes. The team was 6-for-6 six six in the red zone when he was at QB. Of course, Geno got to the red zone. They stalled, kicked the field goal. So not as a team. They weren't perfect as a team, but still with, with Rivers back there, he was perfect in the red zone. Even uh, just now, Tom Brady said that he heard about what happened with Rivers, went back, watched his film, and just marveled at his performance because, like you mentioned, it wasn't like – just got finished watching the Monday night game where Mariota was, I think, first 18 passes he completed, 18 for 18, and they were all dinks and dunks. I mean, the the accuracy of some of those throws, a sideline catch by Mike Williams, two sideline catches by Keenan Allen, a sideline catch by Travis Benjamin, a perfect pass between two defenders to Sean Culkin before the half. I mean, there were some beautiful tosses. And if he didn't get hit on that last one where it ended up being an incompletion off Neckler, uh, you know, he would have been perfect. So um, the ball ended up getting uh, jarred loose, kind of went uh, sideways on him, and uh, it was an incompletion. But absolute uh, historic day, and it was just a game I don't think we'll ever see a quarterback play in our lifetime, I don't think, because it just it hasn't happened. He set so many records. It's It was just an amazing day for him. Yeah, it was really incredible to watch. I mean, just like I said, virtually every throw except for the one incompletion was just right on the money. Um you didn't really have any of those heart-stopping type throws where you're wondering what 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 he's seeing, what he's thinking. Uh, I'll admit I kind of froze a little bit on the Culkin throw just because he was throwing it into into a tight window to Culkin, 
And that's yeah. not a throw you expect him to make, but he put it where only Culkin could make it, and Culkin made a hell of a grab. Yeah. Um, just on fire. Made a, was making throws on the run. He was sliding around on the pocket, buying himself time in the face of pressure. Uh, the first touchdown pass to Mike Williams. You know, there was some pressure from the right side. He just kind of slid to his left ever so slightly to buy some time to get rid of that throw. Um, I mean, everything was on point. It seemed like he was getting them into the right plays all day long uh, and just throwing the ball with a purpose. Like, there was no no hesitancy. There was no um, doubting himself. It was just get the ball, throw the ball, and he was on the money all day long. It was, I mean, like I said, best game he's definitely played this year. And by far, best game he's played, maybe ever. Certainly, yeah. in terms of statistical, you know, records. Uh, Definitely. And in terms of decision making and accuracy and the whole deal, he just he was just in complete control. We both agree, obviously. I mean, that's something we had to touch on. Uh, one other thing I'll touch on too. I mean, we've got three, but uh, next thing I'll touch on is the defense. And I'm sure you you want to talk about this too, but. You know, outside of when the the defense kind of got over their first quarter jitters or finally woke up or whatever you want to call it, they put the clamps down on the Cardinals' offense. The Cards' first drive, they went 76 yards on nine plays. They scored that touchdown, Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, to open the game. Next possession, they drove down the field 32 yards, settled for that field goal. That's a 10 nothing lead, 108 yards of offense and two drives for the Cardinals. And after that, the next three quarters, with Josh Rosen on that offense, they went a total of 20 six yards they averaged eight and a half yards on offense a quarter including a missed field goal for a turnover a possession and then the derwin james interception even on the card's first three possessions with a chance to score the defense had two false start penalties on that drive obviously some self-inflicted wounds on the card's second drive that was set up by good field position by that 33 yard punt return from tj logan then the missed field goal was set up by a rivers fumble it could have been a lot worse. There were some bad things that happened the first three drives where they were even in position to get points. So, you know, even still, back-to-back drives, they, they, they could have been much worse. The Chargers defense allowed the fewest yards since 2010. They only allowed 149 yards of offense on Sunday. And Man, we are starting to see a change in this defense with Joey Bosa back and almost 100%. And I know this is the Cardinals, and they're not a good team, and that's fine, but in past years... Uh, look, the Chargers gave the Browns their only win two years ago. You know, they, it's not like they blow out bad teams. They did on Sunday. Yeah, they definitely did. And I really thought that the defensive line and the offensive line for the Chargers deserved a lot of credit for basically just deciding enough was enough and taking over the line of scrimmage in that game. <laughs> yeah. Um, after that sack of Rivers that that uh, resulted in a fumble on the second possession, it just seemed like the offensive line – took over the line of scrimmage the offense came out they threw that that double move to travis um to start the third drive and it was just like here we come there's nothing you can do about it either get out of the way or get run over and they ran over him on offense and you mentioned it on defense that second drive that that ended in the field goal um you know derwin gets a pass break up in the end zone to, to end that drive, Nwosu recovers yeah. on a wheel route to chase down the fullback and break up a pass yep. in the end zone. And from there, it was just like, it was just all downhill from there. They just got it rolling and they gained momentum and they just kept building and building. And you talk about what that defense looks like now. You've got 
Derwin in the back end and in the, in the second, actually at all three levels of the defense making plays. Seven yep. tackles, a pick, a pass breakup, five run stops. He was phenomenal. Joey owning the line of scrimmage, five tackles, two tackles for loss, two third down sacks to get the defense off the field, applying consistent pressure. His pressure, um, which he didn't get to Rosen, but it was his pressure that led to or at least contributed to Derwin's interception uh, in the second quarter, and he basically got Andre Smith fired with the way that he played on Sunday. Because <laughs> yep. the, the yep. uh, Smith got cut today, the, the Cardinals cut right tackle Andre Smith after that performance. They just said, "You know what? We're done," and they cut him. <laughs> and Joey had a lot to do with that. He was all over the place on Sunday, and you just look at what this defense looks like now with those two making plays. Now you're starting to see flashes of Ty McGill making plays up front. Um, Jatavis Brown has been really good for three or four weeks in a row now. He seems like he's really stepping into his role and starting to make plays. He had blew up a screen pass with a great read uh, in the second quarter, I think it was. Had another play on a little swing pass to um, David Johnson. David Johnson, yep. That forced, I think it was the one that forced the field goal at the end of the second drive where he got them off the field on third down with just a great read and a great break on a short pass. Uh, he yep. was around the ball all day in the running game. Um, I thought the defensive line looked fresh and better uh, along the interior uh, without without Corey Legit and Brandon Meebane yesterday. They got off to a little bit of slow start, but they seemed to get their confidence and get their legs under them, and everybody just played their asses off. I mean, Rochelle had a good game. I thought Phylon played a great game. We got some good snaps out of McGill. Um, just, I mean, that defense just took the game over. They just they just snuffed them out. They had they had Rosen rattled early in the game, and once they were up 14-10, that game was over. There was no no fear of blowing that game. Uh, it was out of reach at 21-10, but it was over at 14-10. Just done. Yeah. Yeah, great job by Phillip Rivers and this defense. So uh, was that your second storyline? It was. Okay, we'll give <laughs> – then go ahead and you give me your third. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Um, well, I think my third is we saw some new wrinkles on offense and defense, and I talked about one of them on offense, but um, some things that I think are going to really help this team down the stretch on both sides of the ball. One thing that I loved was, I'm just going to call it their speed package on offense. They ended it. They ended the first half with it. Used it throughout the second half after Melvin Gordon got hurt. You saw um, Eckler, Keenan, Travis Benjamin, Mike Williams, Tyrell Williams, and at times Gates all on the field together, spreading the field out. Everybody's running deep, and Eckler's making plays underneath, picking up chunk yards. Uh, they played quick. They were efficient. They were in a rhythm the whole game, and they really did a good job of getting Eckler isolated in space on linebackers and just letting him make moves and beat people. And he was phenomenal. I think he finished the game with 10 catches 
for like 60 yards, had another five carries for 30 yards, I think. Uh, he was just, he was, he was great. And I hope we see more of that because I think, like I said earlier, I think they learned they can be more effective playing quickly. They don't have to play slow and drag down the pace of the game. And it just seemed like once they figured that out and they got that pace going and they started, you know, really moving up to the line of scrimmage, getting getting up to the line of scrimmage, getting the play go- going, uh, it just seemed like everybody was in the flow. And it was a really good thing to see. So I just I really like that up-tempo approach, and I hope we see more of it. And it looked kind of like, you know, early on Chandler Jones, Robert Kemdichie were really getting to the interior of the offensive line and uh, really getting to Rivers. And it was almost like a switch to Wiz was like, hey, man, we got to get this out a second quicker than we have before because they're getting after us. They couldn't catch up. It was too quick. Uh, they, the rush couldn't get home. There wasn't time for them to even get to Rivers at that point. So uh, I think it was a good switch by Wiz to just get it up tempo and get a lot of speed on that field. And then once you're getting, dumping the ball off to Gordon and to Eckler and, you know, you've got Keenan Allen running in the middle of the field. It was, it was working on all cylinders and it was, it was nice to see some actual urgency because it seems like in the last few weeks, every time there was a two minute drill going into the half, a lot of times they were just moving at that snail's pace. Like they have all game, like it was the first drive of the game and it's zero zero when they need to score points in a hurry. And they did and they made it work and they just couldn't be stopped on Sunday. Yeah. It was. It was a very refreshing change, I thought, um, just to be able to get everybody involved, spread the ball around, and really just get your playmakers in space and let them make plays. It seemed like they had, you know, you've got Keenan and Mike making plays outside and down the field. You've got uh, Eckler making catches underneath. Uh, just everybody contributing, and like I said, you just get that, that momentum going, and they just rolled downhill, and they steamrolled them. They wore out the pass rush. It's something that I think is going to be really important to do against Pittsburgh and against um, Baltimore as we move into the later part of the season. Two teams that really get after the quarterback, that have really a wealth of pass rushers both inside and outside. The Chargers are going to have to figure out ways to slow them down with the pace of the game uh, because I don't know that their pass protection is going to hold up against those two defenses in particular down the stretch. They just the The pass protection just does not look that good. So I think you have to find creative ways to help them by wearing down the defense up front with speed and tempo. Yeah. And then the other thing that I noticed, um, and I commented about this during the game, is they have a really nifty little speed speed NASCAR package working right now. Um, on third down in particular, they bring that nickel and dime defense in, and you get Joey, Melvin, Isaac Rochelle, and Achena Nwosu all on the line together with their hands in the dirt. And you've got... Sometimes you're lining up Bosa and Gore and Ingram on the same side of the line. You're running games with them up front. You can get, you know, you can find ways to get Nwosu freed up by pairing him with either Bosa or Ingram. Uh, you got Rochelle continuing to apply pressure up the middle, collapsing the pocket, forcing guys to step up. I mean, there are a lot of options there. The, a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism, and it opens the door for a lot of games, a lot of stunts, a lot of twists. And it really lets them be aggressive and creative with the pass rush without committing five or six guys to the pass rush because they're getting home with four guys on a consistent basis. So it gives them more options on the back end. And I think that's going to that's gonna be an important thing down the stretch this season as well. Yeah, we're seeing an increase in Nuosu snaps, who I thought uh, did a pretty good job on Sunday, applied some pressure to Rosen, got that pass deflection in the end zone, luckily to recover on a fullback <laughs> where he just got his hands up and knocked the ball away. But, uh, yeah, it was good to see – Nuosu active, Isaac Rochelle holding down the middle. There was, 
you know, surprisingly, without Legit and Meebane, um, the run game held up. And, uh, you know, kind of impressed with T.Y. McGill. I thought he had a, a pretty a quiet game, but uh, did pretty good in the middle. Yeah, he looked pretty good. He lo- had some real good get-off on the line on a couple of plays. Got upfield in a hurry. Yeah, um, yeah he looked good. I, like I said earlier, I thought the guys on the interior looked like they really handled the challenge of filling in for Legit and Meebane quite well. Uh, particularly um, Square and Phylon and uh, and McGill. Those guys in particular played quite well. Um, so yeah, I think you know seeing some of those some of those wrinkles uh, really helped. And now all of a sudden we're starting to see better play in the back end because they're getting home more quickly with the pass rush. All things are going to help in December and hopefully January. So one idea I had while watching this game and I kind of wanted to talk about on the podcast was uh, actually about special teams. And, you know, going into this year and as as this whole 2018 season was unfolding, there was major deficiency at the kicker position, at the returner position. And, you know, we watched Caleb Sturgis almost lost his job out of camp to Roberto Aguayo, who was perfect the preseason. You know, then, of course, Sturgis kicking campaign in 2018 was a nightmare. Michael Badgley comes in. Sturgis goes down. Sturgis got kicked to the curb obviously and Badgley so far nine for nine on field goals made a long of 46 he's 16 for 17 on extra points and not only that but Badgley was kicking in the end zone on Sunday on a couple of them got a couple touchbacks which was an area he needed to improve and if you think about the future Badgley a rookie this year if things go right and uh, he still keeps up his good kicking, then, you know, you've got somebody locked in for hopefully the future. And then, you know, as the season started, J.J. Jones was the returner. He literally fumbled his job away. Travis Benjamin was thrown back there, didn't get any better. And then he went down with an injury, and they said, hey, why don't we throw Desmond King back there? And here we go. We've got a whole revelation. Week four rolls around, 49ers come to town, and Desmond King changed everything. And, you know, the last week we saw Travis Benjamin return some punts and it looked stale again. And then again this week, Des King's back out there. They don't care. He's kick returning and punt returning. Uh, on kick returns, he averaged 29 yards on three returns. Returner duty should be Des's job unless, you know, something bad happens or you got depth issues, obviously. But, you know, you're looking at the future and obviously Donnie Jones, He's he's been fine and he's 38. So they'll have to address that at some point. But... You know, once the season was starting, we're going, oh my God, man, the Chargers are going to have to find a new field goal kicker, a new punter, a new holder, a new punt returner, a new kick returner. And all of it kind of worked itself out throughout this season. Michael Badgley has looked great. Des King looks electric. He almost broke two kicks on Sunday. It seems like every time he touches the ball, he has a chance to break one open. Obviously, the punter is an unknown going into 2019, but that's such a good thing that they took care of their returner duties with King. They've got their field goal kicker now with Badgley. Things are looking good, and they don't have as many holes on special teams as we thought as the season was kind of rolling along. Yeah, and you know they did all this without having to spend draft capital on it. Right, and They did right. all of it without having to spend big free agent money because you know they've been trying for years to fix particularly the return game by throwing money at it with, J- with uh, Jacoby, Jacoby Jones, Jones and Travis, Travis Benjamin, Benjamin, and yeah. none of that stuff worked. And now they've found King, who they they already had on the roster. They didn't have to waste a draft pick on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know they 
they're going to have to pay him, but they're going to pay him because of his play at corner more than his his return game. But yeah, you know they don't have to commit extra resources to it. So they're finding in house solutions. They're developing in house solutions. These are all encouraging developments for the coaching staff. Um, it's probably going to wind up keeping George Stewart around longer than we'd all like, but <laughs> it's winning games, and I, that might be a trade off that we just have to live with. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But it's it's nice that uh, we don't have that glaring issue. Not only because we don't have to watch Phil go kicker tape, but also <laughs> because it kind of all just sorted itself out. Uh, and you're right; they didn't have to buy in. They didn't have to throw money at it. They didn't have to do. Anything crazy, they had everything right where they needed to. They picked up Badgley, and they kept him on the practice squad just in case. And good thing they did because they were able to call him up as soon as Sturgis just shit the bed the last time he played. (laughs) So it's been good, and it was interesting, you know, just having that thought during the game like, hey, man, it's not as bad as we thought when the season started. No, yeah, it's definitely gotten a lot better. And even Jones, he had a couple 50-yard kicks on Sunday. seems like he's starting to kick the ball a little bit better. Um, everything seems like it's rounding into shape. I'd like, you know, the, the kick coverage teams have been a little bit inconsistent. One week they look really good. The next week they give up a big return. Um, didn't seem like they were too prepared for Christian Kirk on Sunday, but they kind of settled down and they took, well, they didn't have to punt anymore. That helped. Yeah, (laughs) that definitely helped. (laughs) Um, But yeah, not till Gino came in. It it doesn't seem like the special teams are a complete liability anymore. They're at least they're. I mean, they're ranked really highly by PFF. They've been one of the top special teams units in the league all year, according to PFF. I don't know that I agree with that, but you know, they're average, maybe slightly above average, and no longer a complete liability. So hopefully that holds up down the stretch here. Yeah, and that's fine by me. Now, Sunday, Fawcett Eckler is a starting running back, one of their better special teams players. No Eckler, and the last time Eckler didn't uh, play special teams, there were some they were getting gashed on special teams. So we'll see how that plays itself out on Sunday in Pittsburgh. Yeah, we'll see how they handle that. Um, that might have, that might also have, be a reason why they didn't have much of a game plan for Eckler in London as well, because they realized they needed him on special teams. Uh, part of me is also wondering if maybe they were kind of playing coy with, with Eckler and they've been saving him for the stretch run because they kind of, they threw a lot at the Cardinals and put a lot of him on tape on Sunday, maybe more than you normally would like to see going into a big matchup with the Steelers. You'd want, like to see them kind of spring that on the Steelers. But it almost felt like like an information dump. Like, here he is. Everybody's been wanting to see Eckler. Here he is. Look at all the ways we can get him the ball. Look at everything he can do with the ball in his hands. Go ahead. We dare you. Prepare for it. Mm-hmm. And just kind of trying to overwhelm them and give them one extra thing to think about when they're watching film, something that they may not have had to think, something that they may not have thought they would have had to worry about going into that game. So... Maybe a little moving some chess pieces around, maybe a little gamesmanship. Now they're starting to spring uh, Eckler loose. It started a little bit in, in, against Denver, really blew up um, against uh, against the Cardinals this week. So we'll see if they continue to do that and if maybe they just have a larger section of the playbook that they're ready to un- unload on the Steelers um, on Sunday night in prime time. Yeah, and a lot of that happened with Melvin Gordon still in the game before his injury, too. I mean, that drive right before the half was all Austin Eckler. Yeah, he fueled that drive, and he was a big part of the the first drive after halftime as well. Just seemed like 
it, like I said, it just picked up the tempo getting him involved. So hopefully that that continues. So we got a little bit more time. We went through our storylines. Uh, give me your opinion on what you think about this whole Melvin Gordon injury. Uh, who or who are you blaming? Because we got a question late. Said whose fault is that? Is that Wiz? Is that Lynn? Was that Eckler? Was that Gordon? Who whose fault was that that he got injured? Uh, I think it, I think it's personnel mismanagement. To be honest with you, um, there was no reason at that point. It was twenty eight nothing. They were working on making it. I'm sorry, it was twenty eight ten. Felt like twenty eight nothing at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> it sure did. They were working on making it thirty five ten. There was really no reason for for Gordon to be in the game at that point because the game was over and there was no way the Cardinals were coming back. And it just seemed like, I just seemed like something shook loose, and they were having so much fun that they were just throwing everything out there to see what stuck. So I don't know that it's really the play necessarily. Could have happened to anybody. Uh, could could have happened to Eckler in that situation. I don't think it was the play, although there's really no reason to roll out a double reverse when you're up twenty eight nothing or twenty eight ten. I did it again uh, <laughs> when you're up twenty eight ten. But to me, I think at that. They probably should have had Gordon out of the game after halftime, just understanding what he dealt with all week, the importance of him to the offense and the team, and that they really didn't need him in the second half. There was no reason for him to be on the field. So I think it's I think it's personnel mismanagement more so than bad play calling. I think calling uh, blaming it on the play call is a little bit misdirected because they ran that play earlier in the game in the second quarter. Uh, it was Gordon who tossed it to Eckler. Eckler gained seven yards. They tried it again, which they've done before. You know, they've seen things that have worked, and they've tried it more than one time to see if they can fool them again. Uh, this time, it didn't work out. And you know, it's one of those freak plays where Kim Dietschy's chasing Eckler, and then he basically leg whips yeah. Melvin Gordon from behind. You know, it, it could have happened anywhere. And in fact, rewatching the game, it seemed like. The goal line run where he kind of got twisted up and extended towards the goal line, there's a play he was going to get injured at. That looked like something where he could have really hurt himself, and he didn't. But if the argument is, hey, listen, they were up 28-10. You were driving at that point. You knew you were going to score again, at least a field goal at that point. You shouldn't have Melvin Gordon in. That argument I understand. But if the argument is, listen, man, wh why would Eckler toss it that close when there's a guy on him? Why would you run a double reverse at that point? What is Lynn doing? What is Wiz doing? I don't think you can really blame them for the play call. If you're talking about Melvin Gordon should be in, where watching that game live, I thought, listen, you know, they're going to get the ball back. If they score again, just yank the starters. So, and that was the drive where Melvin Gordon got hurt. So I, so in my mind, I thought, hey, maybe Lynn will take everybody out. They'll score 35 and get out of there, you know, but, um, but it didn't happen. It was still early ish in the game. So I, I kind of understand it because that's what I thought live, but I, I don't think it was, the, I don't think you can blame it on the play call. No, it was just a freak thing from a play calling standpoint. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I'd have to go back and check the timing of it, but I actually tweeted right after halftime as they were in the middle of that drive. I said, there's no reason for the starters to be out there. Let's get, let's get them out of there and, and just get the, get the reserves some playing time. It On the last drive after halftime or before halftime? Coming out of halftime. Oh, okay. Actually, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's when it was. I think it was during the first drive of the second half. Um, I was just concerned that they were going to leave them on the field too long and somebody was going to get hurt. And I just didn't want to deal with that. There was no reason to mess with it. Um, and of course, Gordon winds up getting hurt. But yeah, you know, I that I, I I don't think it's the play call. I just think 
I think you got to be smarter with a guy who's banged up and who had to talk his way into the lineup and realize that, yeah, we probably don't need him for the second half. Let's get him in the street clothes, let him rest, let him get a little extra rest for that knee heading into a key primetime game, and let's let some of the backups play and see what they can do, get get some film on those guys. So uh, just, you know, maybe a little greedy, maybe not not managing the players as well as they should the personnel as well as they should be in that situation and being aware of just how valuable he is and, and, uh, and how important it is to keep him healthy. Okay. Well, that'll do it. I am at Garrett on Twitter, Jamie at lightning underscore round. All right. And we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.